I am speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis. I'm Jeff Turner, and this is Recall. It's a series about history. Not the ancient past, but history that's still hot to the touch. In this first season, I explore a revolutionary political movement that brought a modern democracy to the brink. You can find Recall, How to Start a Revolution, on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Armstrong. And I'm Talia Schlanger. This is As It Happens, the podcast edition. Cold Comfort, a Russian publisher, remembers the warm, hopeful, and defiant letters Alexei Navalny sent from inside the Arctic penal colony where he was imprisoned before his death last week. Hitting the mark, the government of Finland launches a plan to open hundreds of firing ranges. We ask a member of parliament why he pulled the trigger on the scheme and if he's worried about it backfiring. Finding her voice. Hannah Ha always knew her mother could sing, but it wasn't until she stumbled on an old record that she learned her mom was a legend who belted out some of the first rock and roll sung in Vietnamese. Eyeing a bat without batting an eye. You may remember the viral video, an Irish family contends with a kitchen invading bat. You'll hear from the man who shot that video and from his unflappable, towel-wielding father, the legendary Derry. Feeling down. One moment, a Nova Scotia man was out for a snowy walk with his dog. The next, he was through an open manhole, standing in icy, neck-high water, wondering if anyone would hear him calling for help. And the SEAL deal. A PEI constable describes getting a call about a SEAL walking up the highway and tells us how he wrestled it off the road and into the back of his cruiser. As it happens, the Monday edition, radio that wonders what'll be his next adventure. Three дня назад Владимир Путин убил моего мужа Алексея Навального. Путин отнял самое дорогое, что у меня было, самого близкого и самого любимого человека. Yulia Navalnya has stepped into the spotlight days after the death of her husband, Alexei Navalny. In a video, she blamed Vladimir Putin for killing the Russian opposition leader. Russia claims Mr. Navalny lost consciousness after a walk at the Arctic penal colony where he was imprisoned. Authorities have so far refused to hand over his body and reportedly told his mother that he died from, quote, sudden death syndrome, unquote. Mr. Navalny was serving a 30-year sentence after he returned to Russia in 2021. During his imprisonment, he exchanged regular letters with another Russian dissident, Ilya Krasilshik. We reached Mr. Krasilshik in Berlin, Germany. Ilya, after exchanging all these very personal letters, what was it like to learn the news of Alexei Navalny's death? Heartbreaking. I don't know. Uh, never happened something like this in my life. I'm, I'm not sure I can describe this feeling yet. On, on so many levels, it's so tragic and so heartbreaking and so awful and so frightened. I still don't believe that this has happened. Mr. Navalny's family clearly believes that he was murdered. If that does turn out to be true, wh- what do you make of, of the timing here? Why would they target him now? 
maybe because they try to silence him in many different ways uh, by jailing him, by poisoning him, by sending him for some uh, gulag prison in the far north. But he wasn't silenced and he wrote and he talked and he contacted with his uh, organization. So he didn't stop fighting. You received so many letters and exchanged so many letters with him. Can you tell me a bit about the last one that you received from Mr. Navalny, I believe in October? What kinds of things were on his mind then? It's really interesting for, for him to discuss not only the future of Russia, yes, or some past or uh, anything like this, but uh, he was really eager to discuss the gossips, what happened in different uh, cities. Uh, he asked me to compare Belisha, where, where I lived before, to uh, Berlin. Uh, he, he wanted to know everything about food, about France, about uh, what's happening. So he was really lively and uh, he wanted to know everything. So, and from my uh, perspective, from from what I read from in, in his letters, uh, he wasn't depressed. Yes, he was right. really optimistic. It, it was hard for him there, surely, but he never, never said anything about any problems. He understood that uh, this can happen to him, but from his letters, it's... Uh, clear that he lo- he loved life, yes, and he loved life in many ways. It's so yeah. remarkable, though, in, in detention, in, in really tough conditions, that that's what he was writing about, that that, that sort of almost a lightness to the things that he was, he was writing about. Where do you think he found that in the, the midst of such a horrific place? I think this is a really important genre right, right now for Russians uh, who are opposed to the regime to write to some uh, political prisoners uh, uh, in Russia, yes, and uh, unfortunately there are a lot. In many cases, it really helps uh, for them when uh, you write not about some how are you doing or we're here for you, but you write about your day-by-day life, yes, because it's helped them to feel uh, themselves not so isolated. And this is like, this is not only uh, about Alexei, this is about a lot of diff- uh, other prisoners, yes? This news from, from freedom, yes? They, the news about what did you eat or what did you, uh, uh, whom did you saw uh, yesterday? Right. It, it's really, really like a part of the uh, normal life, yeah? It was really, uh, so when you read this and when you write about this, you you are still alive. And this is a really important feeling. Ilya, you yourself, you were sentenced to eight years in prison in absentia. You live in exile in Germany now. Why do you think Mr. Yeah. Navalny made that choice to go back to Russia to face imprisonment and, and something that a lot of people said might happen, his eventual death? Uh, I asked him, uh, and he answered, and he answered that uh, this is his way, and he had no second thought about it, and his family had no uh, uh, second thought about it, and this is his way, this is his way as a politician, and he need to do this, and that's it. Surely, uh, from my point of view, I prefer him alive and uh, free, uh, but this was his choice, and this actually the choice which made him, like um, as somebody said, a superhero. I don't know. Uh, yes, superhero is dead right now, so I right. don't know. But he was absolutely sure 
that this is his way and he need to walk this way. Yeah, so he was 100% sure. We're seeing people take to the streets. We're seeing people leave flowers at various tributes and monuments. Uh, do you think the impact he wanted to have, it hasn't happened yet, but do you think it might be happening? Uh, I hope that his uh, words and his thoughts and his uh, his hope, yes, and he was hopeful till the end, right. I think. Uh, so r- the last thing I got from him was about hope and that he had, n- uh, he had no problem with hope. He had a lot. So I... I hope that his hope will be reality in, I don't know when, but it will happen. And uh, his uh, wife and the brilliant Yulia Navalny today said that uh, she will continue uh, what Alexei uh, did. And I think she is our hope right now. Where do you think this leaves the opposition movement that Mr. Navalny led? Don't know. We had a leader, and we don't have a leader anymore. And uh, but when you know, when I saw Yule in München, Munich, and I actually I saw the leader, and I hope that she can be it. I don't know does she want it, but I see no other leaders right now, and I think she has a mandate for this. We had Alexei for fifteen years, and for fifteen years he was a the most important guy in the opposition movement and he was and his brilliance it's really hard to i don't know to recreate this we have nobody who can uh, replace him here well, look this is a difficult time and i'm just really grateful you're able to make time to speak with us today thank you for this thanks a lot thank you we reached Ilya Krasilchik in berlin germany When you think of classic Finnish hobbies, you think ice hockey, football, cross-country skiing, shooting might not immediately come to mind. But the government of Finland is hoping to add it to the list. The country is the most recent to join NATO, and as part of an effort to raise public interest in national defense, it's planning to open 300 new shooting ranges. Yuka Kopra is an MP for the Finnish Clo- Coalition Party. We reached him in a busy cafe in Brussels. Yuka, do you like to spend time at the shooting range yourself? Yes, I've been uh, practicing shooting all my life, but not very much these days. So because of my parliamentary work, I don't have so much time to go shooting myself <laughs> Fair so enough. much. So walk me through this. So how will adding more shooting ranges specifically for civilian hobbyists, how will that help the country's defense model? Well, yes, uh, we have about 700 shooting ranges in Finland at the moment. And uh, we've seen the tremendous need that we should have more because people are willing to practice shooting and have, have reserve training as a hobby these years. And this, of course, this new new situation has risen from the Russians' Russia's unprovoked unpro- attack to Ukraine. And um, we have a conscription uh, system in Finland. We have reservist army. We have a nation of about five million people, but we have uh, nine hundred thousand trained reservists 
which are the backbone of our defense. And then we have about 300,000 uh, hunters in Finland who also practice shooting. And um, at the moment, we've just seen that the uh, having a shooting as a hobby has, has become too complicated because uh, the ra ranges are so rare and they're far away. So the government wanted to up this figure so that people would have more possibilities to practice shooting. You say that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is a part of this, and Finland shares a 1,300-kilometer border with Russia. What are people thinking? What are they worried about? Is there a common thought that maybe Russia will invade Finland next? No, no, no. I'd say that there's no no sense of fear or, or nothing like that or no sense of immediate threat, but uh, people have realized that, okay, this... this uh, defending our country, of course, it's our duty and, and, of course, our privilege. So people want to take part and people want to uh, sort of pitch in their effort in, in the defense of our country. And um, after this attack in Ukraine, we have seen a tremendous rise in voluntary military training, voluntary shooting uh, training and so forth. So people are interested in this and they want to be part of our defense. Is there some concern that more people knowing how to shoot might lead to more gun violence? Well, we have very strict gun control and gun laws, and we are not seeking to release these any easier. So we intend to keep this strict control of who, who is able to purchase guns and have guns at home. But to those people who are eligible to having guns, um, we want to give more possibilities to practice shooting. You know, and part and parcel to all of this, more involvement with the reservists, more voluntary training, more time at the shooting ranges, you're seeing more Finns applying for gun licenses. Why do you think specifically on the gun licenses? What are people telling you that that's all about? Well, um, I have to say that I have no recent information about the what's the level of the uh, applications for gun licenses at the moment. So has there been a tremendous increase or not? I don't know that, but but uh, our reserve training system and voluntary training system, uh, uh, the the organization has guns and people can sort of go to organize shooting events, and with under super, supervision uh, uh, practice shooting with those uh, guns that are owned by the voluntary training organization. But of course, to do this, they need more shooting ranges, and that's that's the question today. You know, there used to be, I think it's like 2,000 ranges in Finland, and there was much more widespread involvement in this voluntary training. And I think a lot of people are looking at this story of boosting the number of ranges as a new thing. I wonder how you see it. Is this a return to how things used to be and maybe these last 40 years have been the anomaly? Or are we entering into a new phase and a new stage for your country? Well, I'd say that maybe maybe you, you could see this as a return to normal Finnish habit of, of that you can go and practice shooting in controlled circumstances and situations in shooting range. Uh, we definitely used to have more shooting ranges, but they were most of them were ad hoc shooting ranges, like on, on sand pits and so forth, and with no protection, no no fences, so forth. And we have a regulation what a shooting range has to be like and uh, it has to be secure and of course the in environmental issues have to be taken into consideration and i think that at present the the biggest obstacle of 
or setting up a new shooting range is exactly these environmental regulations and we seek to release those a little or develop new ways to apply for permits for easier to to set up. I wonder just in closing, what message do you think Finns are sending, not just to the world in general, but to Russia in particular, as they go through this process of more voluntary training and getting more gun experience and shooting ranges available? What message do you think they're sending to Russia? I think the general message is that the Finns are very united as it comes to defending our country. So, so we generally do not have political debate about our defense issues, but they are sort of ruled out and decided almost unanimously in the parliament. And I think that's a value we should uh, sort of appreciate and take care of because united people and people are united like this. It's, it's a very good message, especially for our violent neighbor, Russia. All right. We're going to leave it there, but I really appreciate your time. Thank you for this. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Have a good day. Yuka Kopra is an MP for the Finnish Coalition Party. We reached him in Brussels. Dan Webb has a survival story to tell, but it begins with the Halifax man just heading out to walk his dog. Mr. Webb is 71, and after snow hit the city earlier this month, he took the dog out on their usual route by the Canada Games Centre in the Clayton Park neighbourhood of the city. But as Dan Webb explains, that day's route had an unannounced detour. The dog wanted to go and pee on a light standard. I let his lead go because, he, you know, he's just going over to pee. He ran through the snow. I took one step down, then I think one step onto the snowbank, and the next step into pristine snow, which turned out to be no nothing there. Um, the next thing I realized was um, I was underwater, uh, struggling to get up and, and get the water out of my mouth and my nose that was in there. Um, once I did that, I realized I was in deep trouble. Uh, I, I had worked in manholes when, when I was younger in Calgary, and uh, there was no way out. I knew there was no way out for me on my own to get out. But your thought was, there's no way that you're going to die down here. Uh, Take at, us through what's going yes. through your head. At first, it was like, I, I'm really in deep trouble here, and I'm on my own. Um, my only thoughts really were, uh, like you say, I, I'm not going to die here alone. So... Um, so some of your background came in handy here. As you mentioned, you'd had some experience, maybe yeah. not falling down manholes, but... But working in manholes. Uh-huh. And because of my knowledge of cabling and such, that's that's the reason that I started looking at the end walls to see if there was conduits there. Were, there, you, were you able to stand? I was standing up to my neck in, in water while I was doing this, yes. And then what did you do? Um, when I found the cable, um, uh, I 
tried to stand up on it, and the first time I fell down because it was slippery with silt. And then I, my mind clicked in, okay, this isn't going to work. You've got to. So I, I put my hands up. <laughs> it's hard to explain. And I just put my fingernails in between a crack between the, the rings in the neck coming down, the round part. And I held on to that, got up on that, uh, up onto the cable, took my two fists, put them against the opposite side in the in the neck of the manhole. And then I just, I started screaming uh, at the top of my lungs. What were you screaming? Help, help me please, I'm in the manhole. Help, help me please, I'm in the manhole. And then I got tired. So I realized, you know, I, I've got to do something to save my energy because I was getting very cold and starting to shake and, and uh, such. So anyways, uh, just when I thought things were not going to go well, uh, this lovely lady poked her head down the hole and said, you're going to be okay, sir. Oh, I'm, I'm phoning 911. You're going to be okay. That was the 71-year-old Halifax man, Dan Webb. And the face at the top of the manhole belonged to a woman named Colleen Pascal. Colleen says she had dismissed Dan's cries, but then something told her to take another look. They spoke on Friday to Portia Clark of CBC Nova Scotia's Information Morning. For Matthew Muirhead, being a police officer in rural Atlantic communities has meant his fair share of animal-related calls. Horses, a bear, moose, but never a seal. That changed earlier this month when one ended up in the back of his car. We reached RCMP Constable Muirhead in Johnston's River, Prince Edward Island. Matthew, any more seal wrangling recently? We haven't had any in the last couple of days, no. Nope. <laughs> so take us back. What can you tell us about the call you received that set you off on this adventure? Well, we received the call probably around 6 or 6.30 that night um, from Mars. Mars is located out in uh, in Nova Scotia. It's the Marine Animal, I guess, Rescue Services. Right. Uh, that there was a seal walking up the highway in Murray Harbour. Now, forgive me. I'm from Toronto, so I think an animal on the road. Why do the police need to get involved in that? Why not kind of just let nature do its thing? Let it wander around. Why do police need to step in in a case like that? Police don't always need to step in cases like that. Uh, Sometimes on shift, there's going to be other different services that could handle it. But we had just had a recent storm here in PEI, and the snow drifts were quite high. Um, Ice was frozen. And I guess the animal must have gotten turned around and just didn't know how to get back to where it needed to be. Uh, and it was on a, it was on a highway, so there's obviously traffic. And it's, you know, uh, out here in Atlantic Canada, there's not lights on every highway. So right. it, could have been, uh, it could have been a bad thing for the seal. And just to be clear, it wasn't exactly along the coast where you found the seal, right? No, we probably, it was about three kilometers from what I could see on my map from, from the ocean. Like, man, so that's a long way. It's a ways, yeah, for a baby seal. And how big of a seal are we talking about here? Um, probably around 50 to 75 pounds. He was probably uh, three, three and a half, four feet long. We say baby seal. This probably wasn't a baby. It was probably a pup. So a little bit older. It's not just something that I could just pick up on my own and just put in the bag and put in the back of my car. Right. Uh, like this, this is the size of a good sized dog, but it's like pure muscle. 
Correct. Yeah, probably a good German Shepherd size. Right. It's solid. So you get there. Were the residents around sort of pointing you to where the seal was? Yeah. So when we came down the road, we were able to see a car with its four ways on. Um, and they were just basically following following the seal up the road and making sure traffic was diverted for it before uh, someone could get there to help it out. Um, never had a seal before. Never had to deal with a seal before. Dealt with all kinds of other animals. And usually I just try and, you know, shoo them into the woods and get them moving along their way. But he wasn't having anything to do with that. And, you know, he needed to be in water. Um, so we had to figure out a different way to get this pup in our car and down to some place where we could get it safe. What did you try first? Were you looking for like a blanket in your car or something? How do you approach that situation? Yeah, we have blankets in the back of our cars, but they're they're rather thin. They're the emergency blankets, so like they're they're good for heat, but they're, they're not really good for yeah. They're slippery, and seals might be biting through that. <laughs> um, so there was a, a lady nearby who was helping out with the traffic, and she just walked to her house and managed to get us a, a cord that we could try and make a leash out of, sort of to get it wrapped up and you know pull it in towards our car. Uh, that didn't work. He was having enough of that. Uh, so she brought us a blanket, a pretty thick blanket, and we basically uh, got it up and around and wrapped the seal up into like a burrito and put him in the car. <laughs> a seal burrito. Seal burrito, yeah. Now, from the moment <laughs> you arrived to the moment the seal burrito technique finally worked, how long are we talking? I'd say any from 25, probably 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't going easy. Um, <laughs> like, what is he, the disposition kept... <laughs> of the of the seal through this? <laughs> he wasn't happy with us. He was hissing at us and snapping at us. You know, so we backed off a little bit. We didn't want to we didn't want to cause any harm to the animal either. You know, by getting it overexcited. So we just tried to do this as I don't even know the word as calmly as possible <laughs> right. for everybody involved. I guess. <laughs> and have I got this right? You got bit during this process. I did. Um, when I tried to wrap the blanket under his neck, he got a, he got a snap at my finger. Uh, but I'm wearing, I was wearing puncture proof gloves that we do wear. So, uh, just a quick pain. No, it didn't puncture my, my skin or anything. So like that. So yeah. Now you, you load the seal eventually into your patrol car. You've probably yep. had people that you've said acted like wild animals, but what is it like actually driving with a wild animal, a seal in the back of your patrol car? It actually wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I, I figured he'd be squirming and smashing and just making all kinds of noise. He just lied back on that seat and was quiet and he, he enjoyed the drive. It's uh, that was, uh, that was quite the shocker. <laughs> Put actually. on some music for the seal. <laughs> yeah, no, there was nothing on it. <laughs> okay. So you get it to, to the destination, I suppose. And yep. everything ends well there. Well, we got him down to uh, what's called the Murray. Uh, well, uh, Murray Wharf lane is what I call it. There's a harbor there. There's like right. a fishing plant down there. Um, but I guess the ice was too thick for him to just get into water. Um, so we dropped him there, hoping he'd crawl out, towards the broken water and we headed back to our detachment and we got another call that same buddy was headed up the wharf lane and headed towards the highway again stubborn little thing <laughs> he was he he knew where he wanted to go i guess so you find him again this time you've got your technique though down did was it was it easier the second time to wrap him up much and get easier, him back in much easier the second time i actually arrived first there's three of us headed out to that one i arrived first got the blanket out wrapped him up and just waited for the other boys to get there. And once they got there, we picked them up, put them in the uh, put them in my car again, and we took them down to Murray River, where I knew the ice was broken. And there's a place called Seal Cove, so maybe you could go visit some family. Who knows, right? But we got them down there, and yeah, he got into that water and took off, so it was great. And part of the problem has been that there's less ice, right? There's less ice than there used to be in the harbor, and so the seals are coming ashore more. Is that what's going on here? That's, that's what I've read. Um that's what I've read recently. 
in the last couple of days and last couple of weeks about the ice issue. I'm no expert in that, so right. uh, I can't say, but that's what everyone's saying. And how quickly does this, like, you must have been the talk of the town right out of the gates. Did everybody know about this? <laughs> well, you know, Facebook. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my kids knew about it. Hey, Dad, you're on Facebook. I'm like, how am I on Facebook? <laughs> what what so, do they yeah. make of your, your newfound fame as a seal wrangler? Oh, the kids love it. The kids, uh, the kids are used to it. The family's used to it. Uh, you know, small town policing. You know, everyone knows everybody. Everyone knows everybody's father, and it's you know your name's out there. You even say, "Hey, I saw your dad on the traffic stop," or "I saw your dad here," and that's just the way it is. They're used to it. Thank you for your work and in getting the the seal to the water, and for sharing it all with us today. It's been great to hear from you. Thank you. That was RCMP Constable Matthew Muirhead in Johnston's River, PEI. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. In many parts of the country, today is a holiday, and in some provinces, it's Family Day. But even if you're celebrating Louis Riel Day or Heritage Day or Islander Day, there's a good chance you've been spending at least some of it with your family anyway, possibly agreeing or disagreeing with them about what to do with the holiday. Here at As It Happens, we could all agree on one thing, to kick off our special programming with the Fleming family. Who could forget Derry and Maureen Fleming, their son, Tig, and their puppy, Basil. As Tig put it, the Flemings are, quote, your typical Irish family. Or at least they were until an intruder broke into their home. Catch him! Catch him, Derry! Derry, catch him! There's a bat! Look at him back! Get him back! Look at him back! Get him back out of the house! Bigger toll, that's it. Catch him now, quick! Oh, Maureen, will you stop looking in the door? That's a clip from the viral video Tig Fleming recorded when a bat flew into his family's home in Ballymacalligat, Ireland. That video led to worldwide fame for the Flemings and a phone call from As It Happens. In 2017, the Flemings spoke with our former host, Carol Off, about their battle to capture the tiny critter. Tig, I want to start with you. Has anyone in your town of Ballymacilligat ever received this much attention? Uh, no one. I'd say I put Ballymacilligat on the map. I'd say it'll be visited by everyone now to visit <laughs> Bat Dad. But um, it's crazy how mad it's gotten. And you mentioned Bat Dad. That's what you're calling your dad. Derry, your son's calling you Bat Dad. So what are people calling you? Are you picking up that name, Bat Dad? Yes, I sure am. When people are coming into the office where I work... They're saying, oh, do you know the guy, Batman? Is he around? <laughs> <laughs> and this is all because of this 
crazy video, Tig, that this you made and posted. And so, Tig, describe how the bat got into your house. Oh, my God. It was absolutely nuts. So my mom was doing the ironing in the kitchen, and uh, she went out the back door. Uh, she left the back door open, and the bat came straight in. And then she ran out to the, the hall and started looking through the window, and she left the bat in there with myself and my dad. My immediate reaction was to take the phone out and start videoing it and putting it on Snapchat. And uh, then I hid behind do- another door in the utility, and um, I just let my dad one-on-one with the bat. And it just was pure chaos. We're, we're only after getting a pup and we have him a week. And in the midst of the whole, my dad trying to catch the bat, the pup did his business on the floor. My dad was in my football shorts and woolly socks up to his knees. And it was just absolutely crazy. You, you, you couldn't write it like it was, it was pure comedy. Now, Derry, did you, could you think your son could have helped you? Did you need his help at any point? <laughs> Let me tell you, my son was as scared as the mom. Oh. He, he was petrified, and that's why he ran behind the door. Uh-huh, so he wasn't going to be much help to you anyway. No, he wasn't. Like, because It was right up his alley, then, to see his dad inside. Like, he was... He was petrified, really, like, you know. So he's teasing <laughs> you. He all the work to his dad. Of course, like, <laughs> I have to protect the family, like. We thought he might be a vampire back. And you are the man of the house, and you were protecting yeah, oh, everybody. Yeah, I'm the man of the house. Yeah. I had to protect my family at all costs, even risking my own life. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Derry, you, uh, you know, your son's teasing you that you picked up a tea towel to start that. And, uh, yeah, what I caught in the beginning, it would be easier, like, uh, with a small, because my, my, my first priority, like, would not to harm the little creature. They can fly, I think, is it 40 miles per hour, so I soon learned that. So that's why the towel got a bit bigger, so then I went for the back towel. And that's how you finally caught it. Yeah. Now, okay, so you've, you've both mentioned, besides you and your son um, and the bat, there was another character here, which was your mom, and, uh, or mom. your wife and mom. And, yeah, uh, my wife. So, and what we can hear in the video, you, you say, you can't, what, is it, what is it you're saying to your mom, Tig? I was like, tell her, stop looking through the window, Maureen. And we thought that she was frightening the bat by looking through the window <laughs> of the door. And, and she was but putting my no dad effect. off as well. Now, Ty, can I point out to you that you were in behind another window doing exactly the same thing <laughs> as what your mother was doing. <laughs> I know, yeah. I've seen a load of comments saying, why was he giving out to the mom when he was worse than her? Exactly. So what's your answer yeah. to that? Well, my answer was that I, 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 I admit that I, I, was, I, was, I was afraid of the bat, all right, but... Uh, I was trying to man up myself, but no, it wasn't working. I, I was behind the door, and my mom was behind the door, and my dad was the only fellow who, who took on the bat and <laughs> safely removed him. All right, so you mentioned there, okay, one more character we'll introduce into this movie, which is your little puppy. Basil. Basil. So, what, Derry, what was, the, what was the puppy doing through all of this? Well, the puppy was running around while I actually had forgotten about the puppy at this stage, like with the pandemonium. <laughs> So uh, I think his boss, he got a bit of a panic with all that was going on. So he decided to take a leak in the floor. <laughs> I didn't realize this like until afterwards. Until so, I had the socks on, you know, I felt a bit wet on the, on the, <laughs> on the socks. So in the middle of all this, the Basil is peeing on the floor. Yes. And Tig catches him. Tig, what, <laughs> you, gave, you gave blow-by-blow commentary of all of this. I had I had a bird's eye view of what was going on. I could see my mom. I could see my dad. 
I could see the dog. It was it was a great vantage point of everything that was going on. And thank God I filmed it because we'll have it now forever. And the amount of people saying that they got a good laugh out of it and and just kind of it's like your typical Irish family. But I just kind of captured the moment on on video. <laughs> just a, a a typical Irish family and a bat. From 2017, Carol Off speaking to Tig and Derry Fleming about the time they struggled to get a bat out of their kitchen. There's an iconic scene in The Empire Strikes Back when Darth Vader freezes Han Solo in carbonite. Bounty hunter Boba Fett then delivers Han's frozen body to Jabba the Hutt. It's an unsavory piece of business. And you would think an unlikely source of inspiration for mother-daughter duo Catherine and Hanalee Pervan to create a savory piece of edible art to feature in their business. But in 2022, Neil spoke with Catherine about the life-sized sculpture of Han Solo trapped in carbonite they created entirely out of bread and displayed outside their family-run bakery. So, Catherine, for those of our listeners who've not seen this yet, can you describe what's outside your bakery right now? <laughs> well, it's a life-size bread rendition of Han Solo trapped in carbonite. <laughs> I, how big are we talking? He's uh, six feet tall. He he. I had my daughter lay down on the plywood and traced out that she's six <laughs> feet tall, and apparently they're the same height. We we are really big on puns, so he is so Pan <laughs> Solo. Oh, good. <laughs> so he's Pan Solo, and the evil Java the Hut has trapped him in Levenite. <laughs> <laughs> you you are part of the As It Happens family for sure. Just by oh, good. <laughs> just, all of this works I for found us. My people, <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely have. You mentioned you use your daughter uh, as a model to trace her outline, but in terms of making this bread, how did you do that? Mm. Take me through that. So it, we use uh, something called dead dough. So it doesn't have any leavening, um, uh, commercial leavening, and there's no yeast or anything in it because it, it's tricky enough to work with it and bake it as it is. So it's got a very high sugar content. So essentially it's flour, water, and sugar. And we mold it into like a um, the general shape that we want for the substructure, bake it for four or five hours till it's literally rock hard, and then start layering and layering and layering upon that. What was the hardest <laughs> part though? Like there's so many intricate details, so many features mm -hmm. to capture what really is a terrifying, <laughs> terrifying moment. So what it was is the like part? the 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 expression on his face. I think, uh, and the whole image really is so iconic that we didn't want to get the face wrong. That was the trickiest part because I mean, I could have just done my husband's face, and it would have been, you know, he's a handsome guy and all, but everyone would look at it and go, "Oh man, that's not that's not Harrison Ford." <laughs> you know? Wait, are you saying Harrison Ford is more handsome than your husband? <laughs> oh, he's got pretty luscious lips. I will say that. <laughs> what is it like to to experience all of this and construct this with your daughter? You know, she's she's my boss at work. She's the head chef. And when we're working, we've got 50 plus employees. When we're working, she is the head chef and, and all that entails. And when we're home, because we, we live together, we have a house together. I'm the boss because I'm the mom. And, you know, <laughs> 
but this creative bit of time we have together gives us the opportunity to just hang out and, you know, put some music on and be creative and silly. And it really, I, I told her the other day, this is my favorite time of the day is when we can just do this together. From 2022, Neil speaking to Catherine Pervan about the life-size sculpture of Han Solo frozen in carbonite she made with her daughter entirely out of bread, which they appropriately named Pan Solo. Whether it's struggling to capture a bat in your kitchen or baking life-sized bread sculptures of fictional Star Wars characters, taking on a challenge is a great way to bond with family. Joe and Sam Baker took a somewhat more straightforward and straight upward approach when they challenged themselves to take on one of the world's most forbidding rock faces, Yosemite National Park's El Capitan. In 2022, Neil spoke with the father-son duo as they made their way up the rock face in an attempt to make eight-year-old Sam the youngest person ever to reach the peak. Joe, let me start with you. What's the view like for you right now? Oh, it's spectacular. The sun is just hitting the mountains right now. It's uh, been a beautiful, chill morning. The sunrise, I'm sure, is, is stunning, as you say, but does having Sam with you make it even more special? Oh yeah, we had him. He was real cuddly last night, and uh, we were we were on this little little ledge that we slept on, this little rock ledge, um, and there wasn't a lot of room, so it was kind of yeah, just really friendly, cozy. <laughs> yep, he's got to brush his teeth though. <laughs> oh, and we watched the Lion King. We watched the Lion King last night on my phone on the side of the mountain. Oh my goodness! Yeah. We'd both never seen. We'd never seen the new one. What did you think of it? Oh, it was terrific. What do you think of it, Sam? Awesome. He loved it. Okay, okay. I think you guys are. Ha- are you having some snacks? Did I interrupt breakfast? Yep. Yeah, yeah. We're just kind of like. What's on the menu? A bit. Uh, right now, we're eating Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> we eat a lot of candy. <laughs> so, Sam, let me ask you: How was the first day of climbing? Said pretty easy. Pretty easy. I heard you were you you know you're not just eating sour patch kids up there. I heard you you, you love lasagna and you've even got lasagna up there. Is that right, Sam? Uh huh. But tell her what we had last night for dinner. <laughs> we had mac and cheese. You guys are killing yeah. me with the favorites up there. Yeah, it's about eating good food in great <laughs> places. I like that. I like that. Besides those things, Joe, I wonder as as you're making this decision, discussing it with your partner, you know, Sam's mom. Factoring in his age, I'm sure. What made you want to do this now, you know, and not when he's a little bit older? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, he's ready. Mm-hmm. And we were wanting to do it when he's ready. And we were training him. And and uh, he's definitely ready. Yesterday was a piece of cake. Um, uh, and so that was important. But there is actually a record out there that we watched. Uh, a girl named Sela, who climbed El Capitan when her, she was 10 with her dad. And... When I saw that, that was about three years ago. I couldn't, I couldn't even sleep. I was so blown away by how much adventure and friendship they shared. Yeah. And I just said, "Wow, I'd like to do that with my one of my boys when they when they're ready." And 
Sam's ready. You're still in the middle of this. So what's the strategy? What's the plan for the next uh, next few days as you go for the summit? Well, the next two days are much harder mm-hmm. than today. Um, the wall gets a lot steeper. Um, and so we basically we have, we have several more days of climbing um, and much more vertical climbing. So um, we're kind of done the easy stuff. And it just kind of gets bigger and harder from here. Um, but Sam's got it. I think... I think we're going to blast through this and finish the Lion King tonight. Okay, well, good luck. Enjoy the film, but also good luck as you, as you try to reach the summit. Sam, Joe, thank you both. All right, catch you later. From 2022, Neil speaking with Joe and Sam Baker as they climbed El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. You've just been listening to the As It Happens podcast. You can hear our show Monday to Friday on CBC Radio 1 after your world tonight. You can also listen to our show online at cbc.ca slash AIH or on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Peter Armstrong. Thanks so much for listening. And I'm Talia Schlanger. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.